0: Morning, everyone. Great to see you. I'm Greg Paris. I'm the pastor here, one of them. If you're happy about the church, I'm where the buck stops. If you're sad, uh, call someone else. (laughs) So glad you're here. We're finishing up this series that we've been on for the month on the subject of being rich, rich in what matters most. Heard the story of a couple of guys who got stranded on an island. I mean, they were really lost and it seemed hopeless. One of the guys got very discouraged very quickly and he was saying, you know, no one's ever gonna find us. We're gonna be stuck here, we'll die here. And the other guy said, don't worry, they're, they're coming. The other guy said, what are you, crazy? The Circumstances around us getting stuck on this island, no one knows where we are, no one knows where this place is. We're done, this is it, we're lost. The other guy said, no, you don't understand. He said, I make $100,000 per week. That's my income. They will find us. He said, listen, dude, your income isn't going to matter. They're not going to find you just because you make $100,000 a week doesn't mean they're coming to look for us. And he said, no, you don't understand. I make $100,000 per week and I am a tither. My pastor will come looking for me and they will find me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe something to that. <laughs> Today we want to conclude with uh, a look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus again, and he's uh, telling us another story, a parable about a, a rich man whom he describes as a fool. and we'll discover why he was foolish and how to become better, how to become good at being rich rather than being foolish at being rich, and I hope we can learn something from it. so Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. Our custom here is to have you stand as you're able to hear God's word. I'll invite you to do that. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself." you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. I mean, God inspires today through this important story. Maybe may be seated. Thanks so much. Now listen, if you missed the previous weeks, I want to tell you that we're, we've learned that there's some good news and bad news. What's the good news? We're rich. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's really good because we have not just rich people problems, we have rich people opportunities, being rich people. For example, we have access to transportation, we have ac- access to communication, we have access to education, we have access to the arts, all kinds of extracurricular activities we have rich people opportunities. It's good to be rich. And by the way, we're all rich. Virtually all of us are rich. Now, that's not to, that's not to be insensitive to someone's story here in the life of the church. And, and I just want you to hear me say this again as a qualifier when I talk about us all being rich. I know that there are some of you who are struggling. Maybe you've lost your job or you're a single parent and you live right on the margins or you have financial bills or other circumstances that have pressurized your life financially. And full appreciation of that. And I, so I want you to hear, hear me. In spite of some of those unique stories, generally speaking, we are rich in this culture. All of us are rich. And so when we see the Bible referring to rich people, referring to us, so we have to, we have to make the application because we are rich. So that's good news, we're rich. So what's the bad news? We're rich. we're rich. And Jesus said, look, this is really challenging because it's really hard for rich folks to get into the kingdom of heaven, to enter in. He said it's hard. And, and we learned the first week, the reason it's hard is because we tend, when we're rich like we are, we tend to depend on and trust in our stuff rather than depend on God. And that's not good because we should depend on him. And the other thing we learned is that we're easily distracted from our higher values, those relationships and, and, other, and other reference points that God calls us to, and we can get distracted from it, because if we get a worldview that's all about material things, then we're all about spending our time and energy and health trying to accumulate more stuff, and we get distracted by it. So it's, it's dangerous for rich people like that. And the other thing that Jesus reminded us about is we have great expectations placed on us when we're rich. Jesus said it this way, to whom much is given, much is required. We've been blessed in order that we might be a blessing to others. And so Jesus said it's, it's easy to lose sight of this responsibility that you have. So it's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's bad news, it's very challenging relationally, challenging spiritually to be like we are, to be rich. The second week, we talked about the deceitfulness of wealth. We talked about the fact that if you love and trust in money, that you really never have enough. You ask the person who loves and trusts in money, that's their worldview, how much more do you need in order to be happy, and that kind of person will say, well, just a little bit more. You you never have enough. We also learned that week that when we trust and serve uh, serve and trust in money, that we find it increasingly difficult to give in a big way. It's hard for us to be open hearted and open handed, to, to be generous that way. And so it's hard for us when we find our love and trust in money. And we also discovered that you can have money in your bank account, but at the same time, you can have no peace in your heart. And let me just suggest to you today that there are many Americans who have money in the, in the bank and no peace in their heart. And it's a, it's a very serious condition. Last week, we simply talked about giving. Giving strategically, systematically, we talked about the tithe, we talked about the fact that because we have more, we should be giving more. And that's just the, the, the challenge. Now today I want to conclude this message series and we'll start with this key thought. It's a very important thought. It's, it's almost common sense. When I, before I say it, I think you'll probably agree with it. It's, it's axiomatic. It's just, it's just common when you hear me make the statement. But what you do with your money and your time, and your relationships, reveals what you value in your heart. Do you agree with that? What you do with your time and your money, your relationships, reveals, best reveals, what you really value in your heart. Jesus said it this way. I'm going to put it on the screen for you, Matthew 6, 21. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So here's my challenge to you. I want you to think about that this week maybe in your small group, your fellowship circle, maybe among friends, I want you to kind of look each other in the face and say, how does the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money reveal, best reveal, what you really value in life? And just push on each other a little bit and challenge each other because all of us in this room have need for improvement in this area. I don't, if, I, if, I say, if I say to you the phrase, How many of you understand when I say double-minded or a divided heart? Anyone understand what I'm talking about when I say that? Listen, this is our struggle, isn't it? We want God to be first. We want to get our values in place in a proper order. We We want to do well. We want to be good at being rich. But, boy, the pressure points are real. And it's easy for us to get distracted and easy for us to get off balance and for our mind and our heart to be divided about these things. So it's, it's right for us to process and just ask ourselves, okay, no, I love Jesus. He's first place in my life. Well, wait a minute. Just stop and take some assessment, do some evaluation, do a little audit of just where you are spending your time and where you're spending your money. And it might reveal some things that may need some changes. So I challenge you with that if you'll think about it. Now, our text today, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about a rich guy, and he was, he was very rich, apparently, he, he had a very prosperous business, and he came to this point where he's going, look, I don't even know what to do with all of my blessing. I've got more, I've got more harvest here than my barns and bins can contain. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so he, he finally realized, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns and bins, and I'll build bigger ones. And so I'll have room for all of my blessing. And so that's what he does. And then he kicks back and he says, Look, I've got enough grain to last me for years and years and years. I don't have to work anymore. It's all good. And so I'm just going to take life easy. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. Now, it's at that point that we see Jesus kind of pushing back on this guy in the story. And the problem he makes is a very significant one. It's a big mistake. He thought that all of the blessings that God had given him in his life he thought that those blessings were just for him. And so he got confused about that. Verse 20 of the, our text says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you'll get what, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And verse 21, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So Jesus is saying to the guy, Look, you've misinterpreted the purpose of your being so blessed. You thought it was self word, but God is saying, No, no, the reason that you're blessed ultimately is to make sure that your richness goes Godward toward God. Now, I want to point out something that's very important for you to know. I want you to think about something that, that is important to realize from this story. God never gets angry with this man because he's rich, he's not upset with him because he's rich, he's not disappointed with him because he's rich. He, he's, not, he's not judging him in any way because he's rich. God called him a fool, not because he was rich, but because he was rich in the wrong way. Rich in the wrong way. And what we want to be is rich in the right way because we're all rich. And so we want to be rich in the right way, not the wrong way. Uh, and the good news is that you can be rich toward God. Let me just re- remind you of our uh, foundational verses for this series. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. I'll put those up on the screen. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to the young pastor, Timothy. And he says, now, in, in ministry now with folks, you're going to run into some rich people, and this is what I want you to tell them. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Okay, now we've been learning that, and that makes sense. Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. It's depend on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And there's a phrase that's important to us rich people because God's not upset with us because we're rich. In fact, it reflects the blessing of God, the gift of God to us. We have what we have because of God's goodness, God's favor. Just like a parent wants to bless their own children, God wants to bless us. And so here we are blessed and we should enjoy What God has blessed us with. I mean, the permission is given right there. Then verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, there's a little blueprint for how to be good at being rich. And this story that we've learned from Luke's gospel today is how to be bad, how to be foolish as a rich person. We've been building this statement through the weeks now that we have constructed and I want to just put up where we are to date with that statement. And I want us to read it together as been our habit these last few weeks. Let's read it together out loud. You ready? God has. It's not up there? It's either not up there, or you guys aren't listening. So it's. A, either way, I'm all alone. He's just talking to himself again. It's amazing. Watch him talk to himself. Ready, together, read. <laughs> God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more. Yeah. So h- how can we be rich toward God? Let me give you a few thoughts. It's on your outline there. If you're taking notes, you want to you wanna be ready. The first point is this. We can be rich toward God by being rich in good deeds. Rich in good deeds. Look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. We'll put this on the screen too. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They may accuse you of doing wrong, but they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that in the last handful of years or so, last short little while, that our world is becoming increasingly hostile to the things of God? Have you noticed? I don't know, maybe you haven't noticed. But I've noticed it is blatantly obvious our culture is growing skeptical of not only Christianity, but of Christians themselves. It's happening. Now, there's, there's a couple of ways you can respond to that. It, it is true, and one way you can respond to that is to get all pouty and all defensive and all combative and all resistant to that and draw a line in the sand and get all fussy about it. Or you can remind yourself, just as I try to do, that there's nothing new under the sun. There are many, many examples in history where the people of God have been pushed to the side, no longer central to the culture, but pushed to the margins of culture, forced into the corner by a worldview that is shifting away from Judeo-Christian ethic and, and standards. And this isn't the first time, and it won't be the last time. And so here we find ourselves in a a post-Christian, post-modern world. Indeed, the world is pushing against the whole notion of of Christianity and and the importance of Christ in the world. And so we're not going to panic about that. What we're going to do is we're going to see that as an opportunity because the Scripture gives us clear instructions about how to respond in such times. And and Peter says it. He said, "While they accuse you of doing wrong, I mean, Christians really are the target of all kinds of abuse these days, and all kinds of intolerance. And it's just curious to me how people who preach intolerance are them oftentimes very intolerant. And so, and so we find ourselves on the on the other end of it. But here's how you respond to it: you don't get negative about it. You just see it as an opportunity. So what?" Peter suggests to us, and what I'm recommending here, is that we actually engage in good deeds. Now, that's not good thoughts or well-wishing. That means get your feet dirty and your hands dirty and get out there and, and do something. Help somebody. Make a difference in your world. Make a difference in your community. So we want to live in such a way that even though the world doesn't believe in God or agree with our theology that they will not be able to doubt or dismiss our love and our selflessness and our heart to serve and our heart to change a community and our heart to be irrationally devoted to leaving the world a better place than we found it. Now, they may not necessarily believe and agree with your faith and your beliefs, but they will not be able to deny how you live. And so there's the opportunity. That is what God has called us to do. He's called us to live and to be rich in good deeds now let me just say another word of encouragement about this not only is this opportunity for us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth a city set on a hill you know a light so bright that you can't hide it under a bushel but you let the light shine and even though the world may seem to be getting darker listen it's an opportunity for the light to become brighter the bible says that where sin does abound grace does much more abound, super and abundantly abounds And so here's the opportunity for the church as we're being pushed to the margins is to remind the world that we are full of God's best intentions for the world by the good deeds and the serious selflessness that we manifest in our lives. Let me say a word about what the future church is going to look like. The reason I can get a glimpse into the future church is because of the values that I see emerging in today's emergent culture and the millennial culture. Young Christians, many young Christians in the room today listening to the sermon, other people online, the podcast and so forth listening to this. Listen, I'm encouraged about the Next Generation Church and let me tell you why. It's because you have inherent, I'm not sure how this developed, but you guys have inherent within you the right instincts with regard to how to best influence the world for Jesus in the days to come. Let me just give you a profile of the the primary attributes of the church of Jesus Christ in what we might describe as the last days, or at least the next generation. I don't know how close we are to Jesus coming back. He is coming back, you know. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. He's coming. He could come today. He could come tomorrow, or it may be a while. Nevertheless, the next generation church or the last days church are going to have attributes these earmarks. Number one, it's going to be a church of humility. A church where where people understand who they are in relationship with God and how they relate to the culture around them. Humility is an earmark of a a mature church that says to the world, look, we don't have all the answers to all the questions. We're not smarter than anybody else or better than anybody else. We're pilgrims in a process. We're just going along the way. We're we're trying to do the best we can with, with the light that God's given us. What we have discovered though is that a relationship with Jesus Christ has reconnected us in a profound way with God himself. And that knowing Jesus really matters. And so we live for him and we serve him and we place our hope in him. We're not... We're not otherwise we have no advantage. But we have found in Jesus hope. And a message that is couched that way with humility will connect with the next generation. A second attribute of the church that's emerging is servanthood. And it's what I'm describing here in this point, that people willing to put their hands on the real needs of real people to make a difference in their lives. It's one thing to be able to say, look, I just I don't agree with you Christians. I don't like your standards. I don't like your theology. I don't like, I don't like anything about you. It's one thing to have that posture but a person who's sincerely loving God and loving their neighbor and offering hopeful, practical ways to improve the lives of people in need around them, it's hard to refute that life. I just lift up Mother Teresa and I rest my case. She she is the greatest Christian icon of our lifetimes. When Mother Teresa died, the whole world, every race, every gender, every socioeconomic, every, every sect, every, every philosophy in the world. The whole world went like this. Why did the whole world genuflect when Mother Teresa died? She just practiced what she preached. That's all. She said she loved God, and she proved it by the way she loved her neighbor. The church that will make a difference in the world as it emerges... Is a church that is humble and is a church that has a servant attitude. You okay with this? Now, here's one more thing, one more attribute. And this may be a a new thought to some of you. And I want to particularly provoke the interest of people who are part of the emerging church. And it's simply this I believe that another attribute of the church that is emerging is the power of God. I believe that God is going to display himself in our world in, in supernatural ways. I believe that we should grow in our expectation of the miraculous power of God among us. Pick up the, what kind of miracles? Pick up the Bible, read the miracles. Those. Those miracles. (laughs) A humble church, a servant-filled church, and a church moving in the power of God to see miraculous signs and wonders affecting change in the world. I think that's a good glimpse, a good snapshot of the end-time church. So if you want to be rich toward God, then be rich in good deeds. Rich in good deeds. Here's the second thought. Rich in generosity. Rich in generosity. Listen to Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25. I love this verse. Love it, love it, love it. It says, a generous person will prosper. Isn't that great? Now, if all you hear is money there, then you'll miss most of it. But a generous person will prosper. Now think about your whole life, the totality of your life. Prospering. Mentally, physically, socially, spiritually. Every aspect of your life. The generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now let me teach you something here about the kingdom of God. There are, there are certain principles there are laws if you will in the kingdom of god that are absolutely that are absolutely solid they they when you apply that law or principle it always has an effect so it's not just a good idea or it's a good notion or occasionally this will work if you do this but these principles of the kingdom, are they're like set. They've been chiseled in a rock sort of thing. And one of the principles of the kingdom of God is the principle of what we might describe the principle of reciprocity. There is a law of sowing and reaping. There's, there's a law that says if you, if, you, if you give, it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You cast your bread on the water and it shall return to you after not many days. We see this all through the scripture, the promise of God, and it's again here in Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous person will prosper. Now, what you can learn from this and apply from this is that no matter what your need happens to be, if you will actually refresh another person with the very thing you need, you'll discover yourself being refreshed. For example, if you're a person, I need more love in my life. I just, I I need more friends. I need more more acquaintances. I I need more interaction with people. I just, I need more love in my life. Listen, if love is what you need, then love is what you should give. Find somebody and begin to express friendship to them in a loving way. And as you give love, as you refresh someone else in love, you'll discover love coming back to you. Maybe you're lonely. You say, look, I, I just need someone to talk to. I need, to, I need a friend. Well, in order to, to have a friend, you need first to be a friend. And the law of reciprocity will kick in. It could be, now this, this will not this will be uh, 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 counterintuitive. This won't be rational to you when I say it. You may be a person to say, look, my schedule is packed full. I don't have time to do anything else. I don't even have time to do the things I've already got scheduled. I need more time. Here's what you do. You give away some time. You say, no, you didn't understand, Pastor. I don't have time. I know. But if you will find a need and give yourself to meet that need expressed in time, giving yourself away, you will discover that you'll be refreshed. The one who blesses others, the one who is generous toward others, will be prosperous. That's the promise. That's the law of reciprocity. It it has effect every time. So no matter what it is, whatever resource you offer to others, you can expect the same resource to come back to you. That's the the law of reciprocity. It, It comes back. You've heard me say this in this series, that God will not be indebted to anyone. You cannot give in the name of Jesus to any other person's need without God recognizing that and crediting it to you. That's the way it works. A A generous person will prosper. It doesn't say a generous person will, you know, good luck. A generous person, well, I hope it works out, you know. Silly person giving away all that stuff. What are you thinking? (laughs) That's not the law. The law is a generous person... Will prosper. I heard this story about a young couple. They got engaged. They they set their wedding date. Everything was on track, and they uh, they sent out the invitations. And rather than including the registry, you know, where you can go buy them some stuff, they simply said in the in the in the invitation to their family and friends, "Don't buy us anything. In fact, just bring money, cash money, to the wedding. And you should also know that we are not going to keep the money." we're going to give it away. And so this is the family honored their request, they show up at the wedding and they just brought cash money and it accumulated and it was several thousand dollars and they the first thing they did as a married couple was they t- took well, not the first thing they did. <laughs> the second thing they did <laughs> as a married couple is they wrote a check to a ministry that rescues men and chil- uh, women and children in the slave trade. Isn't that, isn't that strong? Isn't that good? And so, and so if someone asked them, why did you do that? I mean, you need some household items. You want to get your household started up. I mean, that's what these gifts are about. You, you know, rather than getting 17 spatulas and 14 crock crockpots, you, you sent all this money to help these people. And they said, because our marriage will be built on the foundation of irrational generosity. How good is that? You see that? So that's how to be rich toward God. That's how to get it right. I love the story of the guy who took his son into McDonald's to get a happy meal. Maybe you've heard this. (laughs) And the dad bought the son a happy meal and they were eating a sandwich and and in the middle of the meal, the dad reached over, and he was going to just take a french fry from the son's little pile there. And the son put his hands up around the french fry and said, no, those are mine. No. The dad said, you won't, you won't give me one of your fries? The son said, those are mine. Wouldn't let him have one. So the father had to coach the son a little bit. He said, some of you, you, you don't understand. You don't realize some things that are happening here. First of all, you don't realize that I, the Father, I'm the source of your French fries. In fact, not only am I the source of your French fries, I'm the source of everything you have in your life. The only reason you have anything, you know, the clothes on your back, the food in your belly, the roof over your head is because I'm a benevolent Father, and I love you, and I want to provide for you, and that's why you have what you have. You don't realize that if I wanted to, because I'm the owner of everything, I could actually just take your fries from you. I could overpower you and take your fries. And then you wouldn't have any fries. Or you don't realize because I'm your source that I could bury you in fries. I could go $50 worth of fries, just pile them up right here. and I, We could just make a pile of fries and you would be under the pile. But the thing that the thing that disappoints me, the Father said the most, is that you're unwilling to share. Unwilling to share. Out of the abundance of my provision. And friends, isn't that the way it is? Isn't it so easy for us to get to this point in our life and we just go, wait a minute, nope. Okay, God, you can have, you can have this, you can have that, you can have this leftover, you have this kind of already worn out. But that, no, not that. Let me ask you, ask you a simple question. What did you have when you came into the world? Nothing. You didn't even have a sock. <laughs> nothing. You had nothing. Let me ask you, what will you have when you leave the world? <laughs> Not a thing. And so if we'll get perspective on that, we'll realize that God is the source, God is the owner of everything that comes to us, and we are merely managers or stewards of the things that come into our possession over the course of our lives. And our lives are just so short, you know, it's like three score and ten. You know, it may be seven years, and the Bible says, and, and more if you're lucky. And so just a brief time, you're here, and so you didn't have anything when you got here, and you won't have anything when you leave. And so what am I called upon to do With the stuff that God puts in my possession along the way? And the answer is God wants you to be a good steward of it, to recognize that it all comes from Him, that He owns it all anyway, and that what He asks of us is to enjoy the blessing that He places in our hands. It's for our enjoyment, just like any parent would want their child to be blessed by the abundance of that blessing. And so we are to enjoy it, and then God says, then I want you to give some of it back. I want you to return some of it to me in the practical meeting of the needs of others and to the expansion of my kingdom in the world because the good news of the gospel, you know, it needs to be preached. That's the mandate. And so that's going to require resources to do that. Someone's going to have to go, and someone's going to have to pray, and someone's going to have to give. This is, this is a, a sacrificial deal. This is what I'm calling you to. And so that's why Paul comes along and he says, look, there are rich people, but some of them don't get it because they think their richness is all because of them and all for them. But they're confused about that because nobody has anything unless God gives it to them. And so tell rich people, command them to enjoy what I've blessed them with and command them to be good in good deeds and sacrificial in their giving and open hearted and open handed in their generosity. This is how to be good at being rich. And so this is what we learn how to be rich toward God, rich in generosity, rich in generosity. Now, here's the last thought. And it's rich in relationships. We're rich toward God in good deeds, in generosity, and rich in relationships. Look at John chapter 13, 34 and 35. And it says, a new command I will give you. Love one another as I have loved you So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know. By this, everyone will know. By this, everyone will know. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Everyone say, by this. By this. Loving one another. This is how the world knows. Those two words, so life-changing. Could I just submit to you, that the real heartbeat of our church isn't what happens in these big meetings. I mean, it's important what we do here, but the real heartbeat of the church is when people get together through the week around a shared meal or a cup of coffee. It's in, it's in our small groups. It's, it's in fellowship circles. It's in our interest groups, our Bible studies, the prayer meetings, the accountability book uh, groups, the mentoring groups. This is where real life exchange happens, where a real covenant relationship is lived out. That's the, that's the real heartbeat of it i had a uh, had a guy get in my face uh, this has been several years ago now i mean he was really upset we'd been making some changes in the life of our church i know that's surprising to you that we would make changes and it was just one of the seasons of change in the life of our church we've had many seasons of change in the life of the church of the last 30 years and he didn't like the particular changes that we were going through and so he got in my face right in my face you know, just in my space, in my face. You know, close enough that you just wanted to back up a little bit. And he just got in my face like this, and he said, he said, Paris, he didn't call me pastor. He just said, Paris, you're trying to set Christianity back 50 years. That's a quote. I just thought that was hilarious. That was really charming. 50 years? What are you, cra- crazy? 50 years? I'm not trying to set Christianity back 50 years? If I could I'd like to set it back about 2000 years. That's where that's where we could make contact of the third kind. Look at uh, a passage in Acts chapter 2. This is really a snapshot of the model of what the local church should look like. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'll put these words on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You can see those disciplines there that lend toward discipleship. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed by the apostles. Do you hear the power of God? Do you see the expression of the miraculous? That's what I was just talking about. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property, gave their possessions to give to anyone who had need. Do you you see the generosity? Hmm. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Do you see good coming out of it? Even though there was resistance, rejection of the Christian message, even in the first century, the love and the devotion that these believers had for one another, their good deeds, their generosity, the work and power of God in their midst, look what it was producing. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's pretty good, isn't it? How many would join a church like that? Yeah, I'd show up at a church like that. I'd be attracted to a church like that. That's the New Testament story. So here's what I'm doing with this whole series. I'm calling you out. I I really want to push you. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. Maybe the challenge you're feeling is to good deeds. and, And you really do need to get your feet dirty and your hands dirty. Put your hands on something. Make a difference in the lives of people in need. Maybe it's at the level of generosity, and you know that it's time for you to kick it up, to step it up a notch or two, that you could be more generous than you've been. And God's calling you to that level of generosity. And maybe it's this arena of relationships, and you know that you're a lonely person, or maybe the voices you've been listening to are the wrong voices. You come to church just to balance out all the nonsense you listen to through the week. And you're just hanging with the wrong people and listening to the wrong voices. And maybe it's time for you to reassign your life in relationship with people who are actually going along the way instead of resisting the way. But I want to challenge you and I want to push on you, encourage you to take a step in this direction. Because we're all rich and we don't want to be bad at being rich. We want to be good at being rich. Rich toward God. Well, we have this statement. That we've prepared, and we've read it already once today, and I want to conclude with saying it again. We've added one more phrase at the end, you'll notice it. And so let's uh, let's just say it out loud together as we conclude. You ready? God has blessed me. It's not up there. <laughs> Was it up there and you're just not listening? It wasn't up there. Actually, that's good. Only one person's not listening. That's good. All right, it's up there now. Both times, when I turned, that's when it came up, right? Yeah. Timing's everything. So good. All right, here, ready? Read. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more. All for the glory of God. Amen. All right, you got this in your bulletin today, this heavier stock blue colored insert would you pull that out i want you to look at it just for a moment we've discovered the last few years that this is a really helpful tool in people's lives and it's a practical way you know i I told you i want to push you so here here's my nudge i want to nudge you to think about filling this out in one way or another let me just rehearse it with you there are three categories there where you might check put a check and then sign your name the first one is i will continue to tithe That's your level of giving, your level of stewardship financially, and you want to continue that. Many, many, many people in the life of our church are tithers. just talked with a couple last night after church, and they were telling me their story. It was really inspiring, really fun to listen to how God has been faithful to them. As I mentioned last week, this has been the pattern that Beth and I have had in our household for for decades now, and we believe this is God's standard. And so many of you will just want to say, I will continue to tithe. And by saying that, you know, we have, we have numbers of people in our church. They tithe and then they give a lot more besides that. And so that's just a basic minimum that many people embrace. So I will continue to tithe. If that's you, just check that box. That's what Beth and I will check. And it's encouraging to be able to say, yeah, that's us. And then the second option is I will start tithing. Now, there's some of you in the life of the church, you could afford to tithe. I mean, you could do it. You just don't. You choose not to. Now, listen, you don't want to be below average, do you, in giving? You don't want to be below average, you know, middle of the pack, you know, lower level. You want to to be good at being rich. And so you have the capacity to do it. So here's my challenge to you. Start doing it. Start tithing. Here's something for those of you who aren't tithing but could start tithing, and maybe you want to. Here at Union Chapel, we actually give a 90-day money-back guarantee. Serious as I can be. 90-day money-back guarantee. This makes people nervous. 90-day money-back guarantee. If you are not currently tithing, but you start tithing, and in 90 days, three months from now, God is not meeting your needs. God has failed you. God has not fulfilled his promise to you. That if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, God says, test me now on this and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you can't contain So if after 90 days, God hasn't fulfilled his promise, you know, he went to sleep on you or something, and you can't pay your bills, all you have to do is make one phone call. You make it to my office, and you report to me, I need my money back. And what I will do is I will refund every penny that you have given in the last 90 days. Every penny. And if that's not enough, I'll give you some more to help you over the hump. Because obviously something went wrong were not really bad. So you need help. I'm willing to help you. But it's a 90-day money back guarantee. Serious as a heart attack. <laughs> I give your money back clutch like that. By the way, just so you get perspective, God doesn't need anything you have. Are you okay with that? God doesn't need me, he doesn't need you, doesn't need, he doesn't need anything that passes through our hands. You, you okay with that? You understand, God is loaded. <laughs> he, I mean, he was getting along just okay before we got here. He, he'll be just fine after we're gone. Promise. <laughs> this is about you. This is about me. This is about us. This whole business of stewardship. It's not about God. This is about, about us and about our relationship with God. So we, we put that little guarantee in there. So if, you, if you're not tithing and you could, then you should start. And dozens of people do this every year. And you'll check that second box. And then the third is, I'll increase my giving with a view toward tithing. And this is for folks who are just trying to increase their giving. And maybe your circumstances are such that you can't tithe. I mean, you'd like to. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I would if I could. but I can't. You can see my books. I mean, it's not possible. And I get it because everybody's got a story. Everybody's got circumstances. So here's my challenge to you. Whatever you're currently giving just increase it a little. If you're giving 1% of your income then start giving 2. Determine in your heart what you're going to give and just start giving 2%. You say, well, "Pastor, my ultimate goal is to be a tither. I want I want to get there in my life. And it may take me a few years to get things settled and my my obligations satisfied until I can get to that position. Uh, but until then, maybe I can increase my giving with a view toward tithing." That's that's perfect. That that's you. And there there may be there may be part of your story that includes, I'm, I don't give anything. There are lots of people come to the church who never contribute a dime to the church financially. And so let me just nudge you and say everybody could give something. So you, you don't understand. Yeah, everybody could give something. Remember, it's never about the amount. It's never about the amount. It's always about your attitude and your heart. I challenge you, I encourage you, put something in the offering. Well, listen, if I put a dollar in the offering, that won't matter. Yes, it will. It's not about the dollar. It's about your heart and your relationship with God and your, and, and your desire to be part of what God's doing. It matters. I don't care how much you give. What I care about is why you give. That's it. That's it. Oh, he does care how much. No. I don't. Were you just saying that. No, I'm not. <laughs> I've pastored this church now for 33 years. Do you know how many times that we have ever not made our budget? Listen to me. You take care of God's mission. God will take care of you. We always make our budget. Always. That's what we do. Because God is faithful. Right? Yeah. I have, listen, you, you may think I, that I'm, I'm a little off about this. Let me tell you what, what you're experiencing right now. I have great boldness in this area. And I'm not sure where it comes from. But God has given me the gift of faith for this category. I have the gift of faith. That's what you're experiencing right now. I have bold faith about this. Very bold faith. And I want it to get on you. Because if you have faith in this area, you'll start being generous in ways because you'll trust God. And you won't be trusting something else. And it'll be a great blessing, a great adventure in your life, I promise you. It's just, it's just, I have more fun with this subject than I think any other subject. I just love it. It's just great. If you can get this part of your life right, many of the other areas of your life will come right. That's what I know. So, again, this is, this is all voluntary. You don't have to do this. But, but if, you'll, if you'll check one of those options, sign your name, drop it in the bucket as we do our closing song, I'll write you a letter in the next couple of weeks, encourage you along the way, and we'll go together and see God do great things. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word and for Your many blessings to us. We pray that you would draw us into a place today of conviction and action. We pray that you would help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you about what you're calling us to be. We're so thankful for Jesus and the way that he has given us life. Life that is meaningful and fulfilling and truly life. Now, Lord, today you're speaking to some of us in the area of generosity. And so I pray, God, that you would inspire us, propel us to take a step of faith. Gosh, we feel so wobbly sometimes about this, but Lord, give us faith. Help us to place our trust and confidence in you. For others of us, Lord, it may be our time. Like everybody in this room, we're incredibly busy, but God may be right now, friend, propelling you to a decision that you're going to have to prioritize and say no to some things so you can say yes to the best things, which is... Using and discovering your gifts to impact other people. Let the world know that you're a follower of Christ because you're laying down your life for others. Maybe it's in the area of good deeds. Now, maybe God's speaking to you in the issue of relationships. I, I sensed this a while ago when I was, said it earlier. You're alone, or the, or the voices you're surrounded by are not the right voices. And you've made excuse after excuse to not find a small group or an interest group, to surround yourself with people that want to breathe life and courage into you in the things of God. Maybe that's the decision you need to make today. That's you. I, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that faith would well up in your church and that you would help us to take a step that will carry us into a life that really matters, whether it's in the area of generosity or serving others or in surrounding ourselves with your people. God, I pray a blessing over us and I thank you in advance for the work that you're going to do in our lives. Now, one more thing. Let me just remind you that in and of yourself, you cannot be rich toward God. You can't do it. You can't do good deeds. You can't be generous. You can't engage in meaningful covenant relationships. You you just can't do that on your own. Let me tell you why. The Bible says that All of us are actually hostile to God because every single one of us have messed up. And the Bible calls that sin and that sin has actually separated us from God. And I was reminiscing about this this week and I remembered that many years ago a man told me something that I'm going to tell you right now. He said it to me when I needed to hear it. I'm going to say it to you. That this chasm between you and God created by your sin, it's too great. And there's no earthly way, no matter how good you are, that you can make it right with God. But here's the good news. You know that's what the gospel means, good news. It's that while we were sinning, Christ died, paid sacrificially, a penalty that he didn't deserve. You and I did, but not him. And that sacrifice actually built a bridge over the chasm created by our sin. And then if you call on his name, if you receive what he did at Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago, and you do that right now in this moment, the Bible says that you will be forgiven. You'll be restored to your relationship with God. You'll be given a sense of purpose in life. And you'll be given capacity to meaningfully care for others. So what do you do? Well, it's very simple. You work up your courage and you say to God, I need you. I've sinned, and I'm asking you to help me. You surrender your life. And in that moment when you do, I'm telling you, God will forgive you and change you. So if you're here today, and you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ, and you know it's your time, this is your day, he's not first in your life, but you want him to be first, then I want you to pray with me. I'll help you. The same man that told me, this condition of my own heart years ago he offered to pray with me and i agreed and he prayed and helped me and i'm gonna help you right now everyone now with those wishing to make jesus their savior and lord today to take a step to surrender their life to him i want you to pray in agreement with them out loud after me You ready father i need you i have sinned i'm asking you to help me forgive me of my sins Cleanse my heart, my mind, my entire life. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sin. I surrender my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, stand as we sing and the ushers will be collecting these.